Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. If you need to use the table of contents, there's no judgment, that's okay. But Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be as we dive in uh, to God's Word this morning. I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's fun to watch little babies eat their food. Uh, for, for multiple reasons, but it, one is just cute, but it's funny the things they do. Um, it, it's, I don't know if you notice, know this now, but now they have these really sweet bibs. I call them food catchers. That They don't just come down. The bibs actually, they're made of like a rubber material, and they curve out. So whatever food they spit out, it just catches it, and you can reuse it as a parent, right? Like, it's, it's amazing. Not that we did that. Maybe we did actually a lot. Um, but yeah, it, it's amazing. It's fun to watch kids, too, when they start to, to transition to, to real food. And uh, I can speak of two little children I know that they would, when they would eat that food, they would suck on the food, get a lot of the flavor, and then spit it back out. And so we would try to kind of force them to get the food because they would just kind of blah, 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 and then spit it out, right? And so I understood they got the good flavor, they got the good juice, but they weren't actually getting any real nutrients, right? It, they weren't nourishing their bodies. You know, the, the holiday season, the Christmas season can kind of feel that way sometimes. Like it's busy, there, there's a lot of sensational things, and so it can feel like you just get a little bit of the flavor of different things in life, a little family time, uh, a little uh, materialism, a little bit of uh, all these different things, good food, and we just kind of get the flavor and move on. And the problem with that, of just this fast pace, getting all, all the sensational things, is you're actually not nourishing your soul. Sometimes we need, we need to slow down a little bit and just chew on things of substance, which of, undoubtedly God's word is of substance. We're going to look at a, a familiar passage this morning, but a very powerful passage. And my hope is that as we slow down a little bit, I'll be a little quicker than normal this morning in the text, but as we slow down and just ease our souls this morning, that God's word would nourish you wherever you're at. So if you would, I'm going to give you a second just to, to close your eyes and talk with the Lord and just say, God, help me to be aware of you this morning. Help me to hear from you this morning. Amidst all the noise, amidst all the clutter, that I would, that I would hear from you. Ask that he would nourish your soul with his word. I'll give you a minute just to do that. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. We ask that we would slow our hearts down this morning. And God, you would meet us right where we're at. So you know we pray. Amen. Now as we open up into Isaiah 9, I want to give you a little bit of context. It's kind of like if you were just parachuting down into the middle of a forest. The first thing we want to do before you took off in a direction is just kind of get your bearings, right? So in this part of Isaiah, we know that Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on the people of God. Just as the Pentateuch had told God's people, if they disobeyed God, if they didn't walk with him, there would be consequences for their sin. There would be consequences for not loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so in Isaiah 8, Isaiah was telling the people, look, Assyria is going to come. They're going to carry you off into captivity. This is going to be a terrible, treacherous time. It's going to be hard. He says in 
chapter 8, verse 21, again, just giving you some context before our, our real text for today. He says, they will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. Doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Thick darkness, gloom. He's saying this is what you've got to look forward to. You know, it's easy to read the Old Testament and go, yeah, those Israelites, they weren't obeying God. They deserve, they deserve this. We, we kind of do that with Adam and Eve, right? Like, well, Adam and Eve, man, I wouldn't have been listening to no snake. <laughs> no, all of us, th- this, is, this is where we would have been as well. On our own, left to our sin, this is where we would have been. I, I would even say you could say, like, this is where our world is today. If you, if you read back in the, really the whole Old Testament to get context of what's going on, the people were relying on themselves. They were taking pride in themselves. The religious, not just the religious leaders, the leaders of the whole nation, they were looking to themselves for their own glory. They were relying on other nations rather than relying on God, like our world today, right? And so because of that, there was hardship. So there's a, there's a physical reality, but also a spiritual reality that left to our own, every single person in this world walks around in darkness and the gloom of affliction. Every one of us left to our own has looked up and cursed God and wanted nothing to do with him. Yes, even if you've grown up in church and you've been a, quote, relatively good person, at the core of your being, apart from God's grace, this describes you. It's it's who we are. Left hopeless and helpless. But then chapter 9 begins with what I believe is one of the best words in the Bible. And there's different translations here, but the CSB says, nevertheless. What a great word. So in spite of what happened over here, in spite of this history, God says, here's what I'm going to do. Even while you deserve this, here's what I'm going to do. Regardless of what happened in the past, here's where we are headed. Nevertheless, what a great word. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So when the Syrians came in to northern Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali were the first tribes, the first area to be conquered, to be carried off, to be taken into exile, into captivity in Assyria. And the Assyrians were known for their brutality, for their hardship. So he's, he's, Isaiah, in a sense, is giving them a shout out. Like, hey, this is going to be a hard time. But there's coming a time where you won't be treated that way. In the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. What is this going to look like? He says, verse 2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Do you notice, starting in verse 2, how it's written in, in present tense and past tense? Isaiah is saying, this is so sure. Even though he's talking about the future from their perspective, he's so sure. He's writing as if it's already done and already a reality. 
See, seeing not by the human eyes, seeing by the eyes of faith. This is a done deal. We know this is going to happen. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you. So there's restored relationship with God. They're now not just rejoicing. They're rejoicing before God. As they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Verse 4. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders. The staff of their oppressor just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. It says, you're going to walk through darkness. You're going to go through a hard time. But change is coming. Hope is coming. You won't be in the darkness forever because the light is coming. You won't be in gloom forever because the joy is coming. You won't be in captivity forever because freedom is coming. You will be released from the yoke of your bondage, of the chains of your slavery. And again, there's a, there's a physical element here, particularly even thinking about them and the Assyrians, but also a spiritual element. The greatest enemy, Satan, and our sin. He's saying you're going to be set free from that yoke, that bondage, that slavery. Hope is coming. Who can make a promise like that? Better question, how can you make a promise like that? Like, What event could be such a catalyst for changing, for changing the world that much? Changing our physical reality, changing our, our spiritual situation. Verse six, it all hinges on this. Verse six, for a child will be born for us. <laughs> What's gonna turn the world upside down? What's gonna set us free? Jesus will be born. That's what he's telling them. This was written about 700 years before Christ came. And Isaiah is saying, I'm telling you, he's coming. The Messiah is coming. A son will be given to us. He's a gift. It's not something we earned. It's not something we deserve. No, in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion against God, he's saying, nevertheless, he will give himself to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness. From now on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. So Christmas is about, amen? That's why we're here. Because he came to set us free, not just from, from struggle in this world, but from struggle in our heart, to save us from ourselves, to rescue us. You know, this is really a birth announcement. We don't always see birth announcements these days, but birth announcements are fun, right? You know, a baby's coming, this is going to be great. What you don't see on a birth announcement is what you see here. You, you don't see um, a, a detailed list of what this child will do or a list of accomplishments, right? When a birth announcement is sent out, it doesn't say future violin player <laughs> or destined to be CEO of the world's largest company or great basketball player. 
Now, if it did have accolades for the coming child, it might say, destined to drool and suck on thumb. <laughs> right? <laughs> but this baby is different. It says he's, the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor. The idea is Supernatural Counselor. How many of you here this morning, you need to be reminded that Jesus is a counselor for you? You can't figure out what's going on in your head. You're, you don't know why you're laughing when you're laughing. You don't know why you're crying when you're crying. I'm not making fun of that. Like that. We, we, we're humans. We do that sometimes, right? Jesus is a counselor. The eternal, excuse me, the mighty God. We just sing about it. The one who made the heavens and the earth. The king of the universe. That's who Jesus is. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing beyond his power. There's nothing beyond his control. He's the eternal father. He's not saying that he is God the father. The idea is that he is a protector, a provider. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. As Charles Spurgeon said, his Shoulders never grow weary from carrying the burdens of his people. That's who he is. He's the prince of peace. So he administers peace to your soul, to your soul and he administers peace in your relationships. Matt, I know it's the, the most wonderful time of the year, but even chatting with some of you this morning, man, we're, we're broken people who carry burdens, don't we? There are people right now that you wish were here, but maybe they're at home sick or in the hospital. And what you need is peace. What you need is Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. As Matthew helps us see this in the gospel. We're not going to turn there, but it's really interesting Zebulon and Naphtali, as I said, the first to be conquered by Assyria. They, the first to experience, and you could even say experience the most hardship as Assyria came in with all their vigor and ready to throw down. They were brutal to those two regions, to those two tribes. And what Matthew tells us, and maybe in your study notes you've already seen if you have a study Bible. Zebulon and Naphtali, that's where Jesus began his ministry. So think about what, what the Lord is showing us here. Those who experienced the most hardship, their place in life was the darkest. God says, that's who's going to get to see the light first. He sees you in your brokenness, in your pain, in your sorrow, in your gloom. He sees you and he wants you to see Jesus. See, in, in telling them this, he's not saying... He wasn't telling them, hey, you've got to get back to Israel, and, and, and then you can have some, some peace again. You've got to get, get back, to, back to a good place, back to this territory. No, he's saying it's not about a territory. It's about a person. See, peace, if I could sum up kind of what I think this text is saying, peace is not found in a place. It's found in a person, and his name is Jesus. You don't have to, to try to fix yourself up. i got to get to this place. No, a son was given to you. 
You don't have to like, well, there was this different season of life and, and I feel like I was really closer to God there. That was a better place in my life. No, a child has been born to meet you where you are at. And he is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. That's who he is. And maybe you would say, well, I, I'm, just, I'm just too far gone. I, how could God love me? How could I experience this peace and comfort when I've done nothing but run from him my entire life? I'm, I'm a prodigal son. Well, Isaiah 53 tells us you, the price that he paid for peace. It says, yet he himself, speaking of the Messiah, bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. We in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I don't care how far you've run, there is peace to be found in Jesus Christ because he paid the price on the cross for your sins and for my sins. You don't need to get to a place, you need to get to a person, and his name is Jesus. Maybe this morning you've, you already know Jesus, you've surrendered to him, you've, you've trusted him, but maybe you, you've kind of wandered away and been relying on your own goodness. No, no, come back to the person of Jesus. He's where hope is found, where strength is found, where counsel is found. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Not just on Christmas Eve, every single day. found in a place, it's found in a person. Because he paid the price for you to have it. Maybe your question is not, hey, I think I've gone too far. Jesus couldn't save me. He couldn't love me. Maybe your your wrestling is more, as you're reading this passage, you're going, okay, you're saying Jesus came and he brought these things. He brought peace and eternal counsel or uh, He's a wonderful counselor. He brought justice. But you're saying, I don't see it in the world around us yet. I would say, you're right. This is the nature of prophecy. We see this fulfilled, but it's not fully fulfilled, you could say. It's an already, but not yet. A common way that... Uh, theologians talk about prophecies. It's like the prophet was looking at a mountain range and he saw the layers of mountains and he couldn't tell how far the timeline would be from one mountain to another, but he sees all that would happen. So I, as, I, as God showed this to Isaiah and Isaiah recorded it for us, so we can read it now thousands of years later, we know, okay, Christ has come, but the fulfillment of all that Isaiah saw but we're not quite there yet. You would be living in denial and delusional to say this has all been perfectly fulfilled. Because last time I checked the news last night, we don't perfectly see justice and righteousness. So it's okay to recognize that, but also to remember the rest of the story that Jesus is coming again. He came once as the suffering lamb. He's coming again as the ruling lion. He's coming again. So yes, already his reign has begun. And he will permanently and perfectly establish, establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness. You can count on it. Got a little help back here. 
This is a hammock. I thought you guys weren't quite ready yet for me to put this up on the platform and preach from it, so I'll just hold it. <laughs> Getting in a hammock can be dangerous, am I right? <laughs> but a hammock is meant to provide some, some rest once you get in. <laughs> some rest. It's, it's people, peaceful. There's comfort as you relax in the hammock. It's very scientific, I know. But to, to be able to rest in a hammock, you need both insecure to something. <laughs> Pro tip, right? <laughs> if you just put one end up, you, you, you got nothing. You've got to have both ends secure. I think as we look at Isaiah 9, it's a, this is a good reminder. This is a helpful picture of anchoring our lives on the promise that has already been fulfilled, that Jesus would come, a child would be born to be our counselor, to be our peace, to be our salvation. We can anchor our lives knowing that's already happened. We have Jesus. This is a promise that was fulfilled. But to find rest and comfort and peace in the in-between we have to also anchor our lives on the promise that he's coming again. And he will make all things new, all things right. He will reign perfectly with justice and righteousness. And when you anchor your lives on the promise fulfilled already in Christ, and the promise that he's coming again, yes, in the meantime, in the in-between, then you experience peace and hope, hope and comfort Right now, even as our world still is broken, we know we can rest in the arms of Jesus Christ. Because peace isn't just found in a place of, of, of heaven. Yes, it's found there, but no, it's found in a person. And you know what? Jesus is near the brokenhearted. You know what I found Jesus to do? When you're sitting in your hammock and you're resting in his promises, you experience Jesus sitting right beside you, giving you counsel and peace and hope. He's with you. See, we don't find rest, we don't find hope, we don't find comfort in the promises we make to God. We find rest, we find hope, we find comfort in the promises God has made to us. As we think about his first coming and his second coming, I encourage you to remember the end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. It's not about you, what you can do, how you can perform for God. No, you and I, we are recipients in this story. God came. He's coming again. He's a gift. We've been given a child, Jesus, who grew up. And those little tiny baby arms grappled with death. <laughs> and he came out victorious. So we worship him, we praise him, we trust him. And one of the best ways to remember the promises of God and the promise that he's kept to, to pay the penalty for our sin and invite us to relationship with God is by observing the Lord's Supper. 
So I'm going to ask you to, to get those elements ready now. And hey, if you, if you weren't able to get elements, would you just raise your hand? No, no shame. Our deacons would love to, to bring you some real quick. Anybody that needs elements that didn't get them yet? Looks like we've got everybody covered. That's awesome. Oh, got uh, one right over here, it looks like, I think. As we partake this morning, we want to reflect and, Lord, are there areas of sin in my life? Lord, are there areas where I've tried to find more pleasure and purpose in things other than you? And, Lord, I need to come back to you. Maybe this morning you're not partaking of the Lord's Supper because you recognize you've never trusted Jesus for salvation. You've never received that free gift of grace. That, yes, even in your doom and gloom, even in your darkness, he came to save you. He died on the cross for you. Friends, you, his body was broken. His blood was shed for you so you can know him, so you can have a relationship with him. So I want to ask you during this brief moment of reflection to just trust Jesus for salvation. Call on him to save you. Say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. That You died for my sin. I believe in you. I want to follow you. And Romans doesn't, it doesn't say... You might be saved when you call in the name of the Lord. No, you will be saved when you call out to Jesus. It's not about if he's in the right mood today. No, he is a faithful Savior to call out to him. I'll give you just a, a brief moment to thank him for a sacrifice, just to talk with him. Thank him that he came as a baby to die for us. Let's give you just a moment to pray and talk with the Lord. Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for our sins. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you this morning, God, you would draw them to yourself. They would see your free gift of salvation. And that apart from you, there is no hope. We're left to wander in darkness. But God, for believers, I ask that you would encourage them. They would remember who you are and rest in you, Jesus. And the promise fulfilled and the promise that we look forward to. God, this Christmas, will we walk in light of who you are. You are the light. 
God, even now as we sing this song, would you stir our heart for you? Would you draw us near to yourself? So in your name we pray, amen. If y'all would, y'all stand and sing this song. Myself and Susan will be down front this morning just to pray with you and encourage you if you'd like to do that while we sing.